This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalino. And I'm your host, Matt Scalino. And Matt, today is an exciting one because we have Wendy Waters is back. And for those that do not know Wendy, she is the VP of Research and Strategy for GWL Realty Advisors. That's right. Wendy Waters, past guest fan favorite, big on Twitter, very, very uh, bright lady, PhD in history, little yes. known fact about Wendy, or she maybe knows that's how to a, research. That's what that tells you. Big on, big on research, but really, when we and she'll talk about her position. But really, what's exciting about having Wendy on the show is GWL is a massive real estate investment firm, and Wendy is part of the research side of that: where to invest, what to invest in digging deep into the data, deep into the numbers. And this is kind of a post-COVID talk, or I should should say not post-COVID, but the cases are rising dramatically as we speak. But this is uh, uh, your take on various markets, especially Vancouver, since COVID. So it's a very exciting talk. Super glad to have Wendy back on the show. Yeah. And I mean, I would say that the discipline of history is the most rigorous of of the academic disciplines, I would so it, I would agree almost. So it's it's uh, you know Wendy's put the study out when it's in Chicago style. That's 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 the truth, right? <laughs> and it's footnoted. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's no, but uh, all jokes aside, Wendy's got some phenomenal uh, insight into the market today, and history is the most rigorous of the disciplines. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 <laughs> <laughs> we confirm that here. All today. jokes aside. All jokes aside. Uh, but before we get to our conversation with Wendy, Matt, we should talk a little bit about what's going on in the market and in the stats, which we were just released. Right. So we've got the October stats. And I mean, it's a little bit more of the same in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, downtown condos are the softest segment of the market. Well, what one thing, let's just... Uh, to, to contextualize that, right? I think right. downtown condos are at a 16% sales ratio. Sure. Okay. So that's like, you know. Balanced. Balanced, but less than two out of every 10 homes selling. Right. That's a very slow market. This last month, October 2020 in Metro Vancouver, there was the highest number of sales since June 2017. Right. And right. yet downtown pretty pretty soft it is pretty soft which is kind of incredible well at the beginning and i i haven't actually looked back but i mean we we were seeing at the beginning of the year pre-covid uh 
condos downtown were on fire. That's and right. I mean, we were seeing sales ratios that were likely in the 40 to 60% range. I'd have to go back and, and, and verify that. But generally speaking, that's, that's the type of busy downtown that we're, we're thinking about when the market's busy, right? Um, and, and also, yeah, and, and it's kind of the driving, it's one of the driving markets usually. Oh, for sure. And, and so let's just think about this from, from this perspective. We've got right now, West Side houses are a seller's market right up to $4 million. Uh, the East Side is an aggressive seller's market uh, for detached right up to $2.25 yeah. million. So I mean, it's uh, and that's and that's a pretty expensive house in in East Van, although that's it right. seems to be kind of increasingly less, increasingly so. less so as as time goes on. And condo and townhouse markets uh, outside of downtown. Um, so if you're thinking about the the East Side or the West Side, and you're looking at the attached markets, they're outperforming uh, downtown substantially. I mean, on the West Side, we've got a 25 percent sales ratio overall, so uh, pretty firmly planted sellers market, and then 29 percent on the east side. So again, a pretty active market. So more of the same really, Adam, and we don't want to beat a dead horse here, but right. uh, but it is worth pointing out overall, the, the most striking thing about these stats is how busy the market is. I mean, this is this, the busiest October since 1980. Okay. So this wow. is 40 years going back, but how busy this market is and contrast that with with how slow downtown is. Yeah. Um, so really, really interesting moment here in, in the market for sure. So call us for your Chilliwack real estate needs because exactly. I think that's where exactly. we're, 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 we're going to pivot the, here. The, re- the, the rebrand pivot. has begun. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, carry on, Matt. Yeah. What else we got to talk about? Because there's actually the, the – uh, the huge blue elephant in the room is uh, Joe Biden. Well, yeah, you know what? This is interesting. So this is we're talking on Wednesday. Um, man, last night was I. It's a nail bite. I went against all of my better judgment and basically got home early and sat down and watched CNN, which was probably the worst thing to do. Yeah. Uh, basically, You're- right through to about midnight and uh, four oh. hours after you were blackout. <laughs> I, I don't I I say that jokingly, but there was there was I was watching people's uh, Facebook. Everybody seemed to and be Twitter. drinking. Everybody, Everybody <laughs> the anxiety I think was at a all time high last night. Yeah, well, one thing's for sure. I when I think back on last night, I don't think of it fondly. Like that wasn't no, enjoyable. It was not in, enjoyable. Anyway. But I don't, are we out of the woods here? Because I haven't really been checking my phone. But it's looking it's looking good for Biden. I think it's looking good for Biden. I think he's I I'm going to go ahead and call Michigan. I think right. he's getting Michigan. I think Arizona's been called by Fox last night, but I'm going to call it here. Uh, I think I think he's going to win Pennsylvania. This is not going to be that exciting for people that know the outcome <laughs> after we launch this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh but yeah, it is it man, uh I I feel like there's two two thoughts I have on this. One is man, after 2016, I really thought the Russians stole the election. And right. uh, and now uh, it's hard to not say Trump is uh, is really well liked by a lot of people. Yeah, um, it's, it's kind of like all those things, right? It was like Comey was the reason, Hillary was the reason, yeah. Russia interference was the reason. All these things. Now it's like, well, hey, man, still f- almost fifty percent of the population voted for the guy, right? After he just has been throwing three to four bombs a day uh, for four years straight, just in terms of how much chaos he right. creates. Uh, so that's one thought. And secondly, and I was wa- I watched last night. This was another reason why it maybe wasn't so enjoyable, but I basically watched it by myself or with a nine-year-old. Um, so it wasn't, I guess, maybe that's how many, many people did it this year, yeah. COVID-related. Yeah. But, uh, but I was thinking about Vancouver and what's going on in Vancouver and how the polling got it so wrong. And I think I mentioned in the Tom Davidoff episode two weekends ago – Guy came, he was an old media guy, came to an open house and he said the problem that in Vancouver, and he said, and largely in the media, is that the Twitter has created a world in which the media is really, really afraid to report certain types of stories or give certain types of opinions Hmm. for the fear of, you know, being canceled, being whatever, being uh, ostracized in, in their community. And it just made me think of the states writ large, right? The blue wave, it was going to be this big uh, outpouring of of support against Donald Trump, right. according to the media. And it just didn't happen. 
And you think about these kind of maybe not silent majority, but just generally speaking, how how we're in such an interesting moment because the media seems to be getting the general mood so mm-hmm. wrong so much of the time. But anyway, I digress. Well, yeah, no, I actually I wasn't going to uh, I wasn't going to comment on anything related to Trump, but some interesting stats as well. We are up seventeen reviews, Woo! and we've given and away. We- uh, or we're giving away this week 17 signed copies of Vancouverism by Larry Beasley, the most beautiful coffee table book you can imagine. This uh, is, and it's uh, signed with yeah. a personal message to you, the and, listener. And thank you. Thank you, everyone who, who came out to review. We're basically giving a book a review right now. A we book are. A review. Yeah, for every review, you get a book. And, and you know what? We you only s- have 10 more you left. S- you said, yeah, you said you thought we had 15. I had some in my office. Yeah. Uh, I think we have uh, somewhere between 10 and 13 left. So here's what we'll do. Here's what we'll do. Because we're going to give the – there was 17. We said the next 15 get a book. We'll give all 17 a book. And then we're going to give 10 more out. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely don't want yeah. to. We, we definitely we don't, don't want to overpromise, Matt. But no, anyways, we definitely don't want to go back to that machine and turn it back on <laughs> and start pumping out the Vancouverisms. Yeah, exactly. But here's the thing: if you if you do want a copy of Vancouverism by Larry Beasley, head over to iTunes uh, and you can leave us a review there, or you can leave us a review on Google Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Uh, you can leave us a review there. I think we have like around 120 reviews. Uh, so leave a review for us there and uh, and then just shoot us an email saying that you reviewed and we'll get you your copy of Vancouverism. Absolutely. This is a very good opportunity and it's uh, a lot of these reviews are, are so kind and generous and it's great to hear that people like the show. So We have the best VREP community. Uh, it's, we have just have the best community. Absolutely. Just, yeah, VREP community number one. You know what's the number two community out there? What's that? Oakwind Realty, our sponsor this week. Yes. Head over to oakwind.com slash join, type in VRP2020 if you are a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody who's been around the block once, twice, or thrice. Thrice. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even do that on purpose. Or three times. Yeah. Uh, and and, what are you, like and a pirate? you're looking to make a change. Yeah. You're looking to make a change. You're looking for community. You're looking uh, for knowledge. You're looking for resources. Oakwind.com is your place. Oakland.com slash join, type in VRP2020. There's a big surprise for the VRUP community. Yeah. Uh, big surprise. Yeah. That was, we should maybe <laughs> should to, try that again. No, nah, let's just run with it. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> All right. Well, without further ado, let's jump to our chat, Matt, with Wendy Waters. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Wendy Waters, VP of Research Services and Strategy for GWL Realty Advisors. How are you doing, Wendy? Uh, I'm doing well. I hope you guys are well and surviving uh, this, these strange times we're living in. Yeah, yeah, we're we're doing we're doing all right. We should say past guest fan favorite here. Uh, I think it was back what a year and a half ago, two years ago that you were on the program. That sounds about right. Yeah. Right. A little bit's changed. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we were recording in uh, one of your your condo in Mount Pleasant before, and now we're uh, yeah doing this over the phone. Yeah, <laughs> that's the main difference. <laughs> yeah, we were about a foot apart before. Uh, <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, yeah. So uh, I head up the research function for GWL Realty Advisors. Uh, GWL Realty Advisors manages the real estate assets of pension funds and institutional clients, uh, including our parent company, which is now known as Canada Life. They used to be Great West Life. Um, And within that, we look after office buildings, retail, small amount of retail, mostly grocery anchored, uh, multi-residential rental, and industrial assets. So we have those those four asset classes uh, under management. And we do developments. We buy on behalf of our clients, develop on behalf of our clients, uh, and manage. So we're a fully vertically integrated company that uh, that also does everything down to the property management of, of these assets. And in the research group, we look at the long-term strategy around what investments do we want to have for the short, medium, long-term. Uh, and that can be in all these asset classes as well as when we're developing, thinking about, well, what kind of characteristics does it need to have, again, over the long term? If you think about we do rental housing, 
we need to rent that unit perhaps every year for 20 or 25 years, uh, a condo developer might only need to sell it once. So it's somewhat of a different, uh, there's some different things we need to take into consideration. So that's uh, to give a sense of, of the kinds of questions we do, uh, as well as, we, you know, we look at what's happening globally. Uh, the company, GWL Realty Advisors, I primarily work on Canada, but we now have a U.S. operation. And then we, with our parent company, we have uh, operations in uh, the U.K. and Ireland that, uh, that they're at arm's length, but I sometimes get involved with those groups. So we have a very uh, international perspective as well as uh, local teams in all the Canadian cities. And and where are most of your guys' assets in Canada, Wendy? Uh well, Toronto being the largest city in Canada and has a very large downtown and, and office is just under 50% of the assets we manage. So Toronto is a very big presence. And then Vancouver and Montreal, uh, also big. And we, as well, Calgary and Edmonton, although those aren't really growth mar- markets as much for us right now, we have a fairly sizable presence uh, in office and multi-res in those, those two markets. So I guess the, the million-dollar question um uh, thinking about kind of the last six eight months here is how has uh, how has uh, GWL fared um, during COVID? Well, I think you know, like like many companies, we had to figure out a lot on the fly, basically overnight. Um, and I think things have gone quite well for our company. That uh, lots of people have had to within the company have stepped up and really you know, gone above and beyond what their responsibilities typically were previous to make this happen. Um, you know, our priorities were the safety of our staff. You know, we have obviously a lot of people at the building level managing buildings. So their safety as well as the safety uh, of our tenants who needed, still needed to be in, say, office buildings, as well as with multi-res, we have, you know, we had about approximately uh, we have 10,000 units, so I think that was over 20,000 residents uh, that we needed to look after. And uh, so overnight, those residential buildings became 100% occupied all the time, uh, whereas the office buildings went to to being mostly empty all of the time, uh, with the exception, obviously, most buildings had you know maybe one or two tenants that had some essential service aspects to them where people were still coming in. So so that that's kind of an interesting – that's something I hadn't really thought of that um... – yeah, just in terms of a management uh, kind of function that that people were at home twenty four seven. So so the building was was fully occupied uh, on the residential side. H- have you guys experienced a high level of of rent deferrals um, or or a higher level of vacancy kind of across the board? What what what's been your experience on that front? Uh, well, across all of our asset types, uh, we have had actually really high rent collection overall. Um, you know, during the first couple months, there were some tenants that needed a little longer to, to, to pay, um, especially on the, you know, on the commercial side. But we've generally been, been happy at well over 90% and in some asset classes and types really, uh, you know, well over 95% uh, collected. So for our, you know, for our clients who are our owner, owner clients who are pension funds and, and need, you know, use the cash flow to, to pay out unit holders, this has been, uh, you know, something we're, we're quite happy with. Uh, that, that we've been able to to work with our tenants. Obviously, some tenants needed some help. There's been there's been some deferrals where you know they'll they'll pay the rent later, or some different lease structures that we've put in to help those that, that really needed it. Um, you know, if you think about though, a lot of our buildings are it's office. A lot of office companies, as you know, people are working from home, but the revenue is still coming in. So that's I think, helped them meet their you know contractual obligations on on their office space. Uh, in the multi-res side. You know, we ha- we had programs to work with our tenants to say help them apply for CERB if they weren't sure how to do that, which was to get the government um, assistance if they were eligible. And obviously, that government assistance was helpful in uh, helping people to be able to pay their rent. And that was national. Obviously, here in BC, there was also that rental supplement. We don't have a lot of rental here in BC, so that wasn't as big of a, an issue for us. But I know for some of the other landlords operating in BC, the the BC government's uh, five hundred dollars that that uh, um, that renters could apply for to help with their rent was was helpful. Wendy, in in thinking about the real estate market, kind of post COVID nineteen, has has the market surprised you? Um, you mean for during COVID? I mean, I was going to say Adam's wildly, op- wildly optimistic in this post <laughs> post COVID. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. post post the onset of COVID. <laughs> Since the onset of COVID, has yeah. it surprised? Yeah. Um, 
I guess there's been there's been some interesting changes where at the time when we first went into lockdown, which I think was like March the 13th, um, things, you know, I guess we weren't thinking about some of these questions like what kinds, you know, what's going to happen in the overall residential market, including the ownership market, and what does that mean for everything? So what, so, but then once I've looked at what's happened, it doesn't feel as surprising. It just uh, wasn't something that was immediately that we were thinking about. So to, to give an example, um, you know, the shift in Vancouver, there's been a lot of, of home sales and you guys are in the residential real estate business and you know this better than I do. So feel free to correct anything I say here. But there's, you know, growth in sales and particularly in the Fraser Valley um, was the Fraser Valley Real Estate Board area. I thought it was, was quite interesting that that happened. You know, in hindsight, okay, lower mortgage rates made those places less expensive on a month-to-month basis. And then the fact that you could work from home means you probably needed more space, but also commute wasn't a factor. So it's, you know, when you start thinking about it, okay, that's a logical decision for a lot of people to make, especially if they were thinking that they were going to try to own in the next few years anyway. Uh, now is a good time. On uh, on the rental side, what's been interesting for us to see, and we wouldn't have necessarily predicted this at the outset, was that our newer, highly amenitized urban core buildings, say in downtown Toronto in particular, uh, have struggled with the turnover. You know, when leases have expired, people have tended to leave. Uh, but we've so we've had a little bit more vacancy uh, and a little bit slower leasing velocity in those buildings. But then much more demand in our suburban product, as well as in um, assets that are a little bit outside the downtown core, but still in what you would call, say, urban Toronto. And uh, I think that's been interesting of people choosing, trying to get to a two-bedroom unit and, you know, also trying to get close to parks. There's a survey that was done uh, by Informa Canada and the interest in being by parks and green space went way up during the pandemic. So any assets we had near that, uh, it did quite well. Um, And uh, so that's, I guess, it's not necessarily surprising, but it's interesting. We might not have predicted that right at the outset. So, so one of the things that strikes me here, Wendy, is is you mentioned um, early on in the conversation that, you know, in, in acquiring multifamily, you're thinking about turnover, maybe for the next 25, 30 years, you're going to have to rent it, you know, maybe 25, 30 mm-hmm. times as opposed to a condo developer who's, you know, selling it uh, from a display center six months from now once and then, and then kind of wash, wash their hands uh, of that part of the process at the very least. Um, obviously buying preferences have, have shifted pretty dramatically and quite very quickly over the last six months. And, and we just spoke with Tom Davidoff, who, who kind of made the comment that he thought it was kind of knee jerk in, in a lot of ways and that, um, you know, post COVID we're, we're probably going to move back towards, um, you know, urban, uh, vertical living and, and walkable and, and all the rest. How how have you guys um, thought about the the preferences of renters? I guess thinking kind of longer term in relation to COVID, has that changed your strategy uh, at all? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a good question, and actually, I think the answer is in the broad sense is no, and then there's also nuances though that may have changed. I mean, we were already seeing a trend pre-COVID of more interest in renting in the suburbs. Now, this was partly, and these are just urban suburban areas. So this is partly because housing has gotten so expensive, and I'm primarily talking about Toronto and Vancouver at the moment. Um, housing has gotten so expensive that people are renting for longer, and there may be a stage in your life where you're not as interested in staying downtown, wanting a bit more space, again, the green space. So we were already or getting out to an urban suburban suburb. So we were already seeing that trend. And as well, because there was that interest in renters and often renters who had a decent income, suddenly the math worked for us to do new developments in these places. So we have a development under construction in Lower Lonsdale, uh, just east of 2nd and Lonsdale in in North Van, as an example. We have several in the Mississauga, Brampton market of Toronto uh, under development so or in the pipeline for development. Um, so we were already seeing this pre-COVID, and COVID, I think, may have just accelerated some renters moving in that direction, uh, you know, whereas before it might have been so many per month or quarter or year, and a lot of them accelerated that decision. And at the same time, we haven't had the newcomers coming in who might have gone with the urban walkable, you know, often, as you know, the downtown core can often skew younger. 
Uh, and we haven't had them coming in because if they are taking a new job, they're still working from home and they may actually quite literally be in their parents' house or they may be someplace um, a little further out for, for affordability reasons. But once the offices are fully populated, I think, yeah, I'd say we, we, or at least I would agree with Tom Davidoff that, uh, that uh, the downtown core uh, will come back to life. I think for all the same reasons, people like the experience, they like the walkability and the bikeability, and uh, also the lower carbon footprint. It's going to get a lot more expensive to burn fossil fuels to get to and from the office. So uh, that will that will be of interest to uh, people, particularly early in their career. I think. But it's interesting. So if I understand correctly, there was in in kind of preferences pre COVID, you were seeing a lot of uh, movement out of, of the centers of kind of major cities because of affordability. Yeah, we weren't seeing, well, what we, we weren't seeing less demand in the core. What we were seeing is more demand further out that our core assets were still doing really well. Uh, we have brand new uh, purpose-built in, in downtown Toronto, which they stop it at really strong rental rates. Uh, lots of demand to be there. Uh, you know, it's walkable to downtown, to the University of Toronto, to Ryerson, and to the hospital district. So, you know, it's, it's a perfect location above a grocery store. Um, so we had lots of strong demand, where I think what we maybe 20 years ago had less of was that this flow into into the suburbs by people who might have traditionally either been a downtown renter and then got and owned something or bought something. So it's people staying as renters as they evolve in their lives. And that was happening pre-COVID. And we think just the choice of moving out to get more space for your money, for example, uh, just got accelerated by by COVID. Um, so we're definitely not, yeah, definitely not seeing like that there was a, a pre-COVID, there wasn't this hollowing out of the core by any means. There was always new people coming in. It's just we've lost the new people coming in because of COVID. Right. I, it seems, yeah, it, it definitely does. It's interesting, um, you know, over the last kind of month, we've just been talking about all these COVID trends and a lot of them, like it's it's interesting, the gap between single family and condos uh, was getting too close. And uh, at least Tom was saying he he was thinking that single family was was becoming undervalued in relation to condos and COVID kind of uh, accelerated that process. I remember th- we've talked to people who were predicting that the Fraser Valley, Valley would outperform uh, um, Vancouver in, in this kind of onset of late 2019 through early 2020. That was the prediction. And I think that's kind of been proven correct as well. But, but, the COVID kind of accelerates that as well. It seems like a lot of these trends um, that we've seen actually potentially with hindsight, you could see uh, prior to COVID occurring. And that's not a question. That's just me (laughs) thinking out loud. No, I I agree. And actually we found that in, in all the asset classes, everything that COVID, it didn't change things. It either accelerated them or put a magnifying glass on them. So now people are talking about it when it was there before, but people weren't talking about it. So, right. um, so that's certainly, a, you know, the, the trend towards more p- people working from home part of the time that was happening before and it was steadily growing. Um, but now there's a magnifying glass on it and whether it's going to accelerate once we can go back to the office or not, we'll just have, you know, to some extent, you know, we have, we have views and we have surveys on that, but at the end of the day, the only way we'll know is once we can all be back at the office and collaborating and being in meeting rooms together for several hours. And obviously that's not going to be reality for a while. So, Wendy, in thinking about like COVID as kind of being the steroid injection uh, into into these new buying trends, has has GWL Realty Advisors kind of changed their strategy for kind of the immediate future as a result of this? Um, not. It's a good. It's a good question, and it's a little hard to answer um, right now because. On the investment, institutional investment side, there have not been very many trades, which means it's a little bit hard to anchor a value on assets. So acquisitions are a little trickier to do. We need to make sure on behalf of our clients that we're getting the right price. Um, so I'd say that there's more caution on acquisitions, not because we don't believe in a market or our clients don't believe in a market or an asset type. It's figuring out what the right price is. Uh, and that's hard to do with some asset classes on pause. I think residential, I think there's been trades. We're more in the development side on that. So um, uh, 
we haven't been involved in, in acquisitions on that side, but I think the right product, right option came along. I think we would we would certainly be looking at it. Uh, but there's certainly on on other and industrial. I think we've, we've uh, it's easier to know the values. There's been trades there, but office, you know, some multi res retail. It's, it's hard to know what the values are, so it's just a slower process. Um, but the right opportunity. Uh, you know, we we just closed on a development site in Vancouver for office in the False Creek Flats area, uh, which we're excited about. So you know, wow. that that kind of thing we're still doing. So that's a you know that shows some belief we have in office and. Uh, and in the Vancouver market long term. Wow! And where, like, in just thinking about opportunities, like, where, where are you? Are you seeing the opportunities right now, kind of across Canada? Well, the opportunities, you know, I think for us, with the amount of real estate that we have on behalf, of, you know, for our clients, a lot of the sites have um, intensification opportunities or repurposing or upgrade opportunities. So that's one thing that we've really been looking at is taking a site where we can add something to the site. So, you know, one example in Vancouver is uh, the Vancouver Centre 2 office development, which is on Seymour Street between Georgia and Robson across from the TELUS building. Uh, so some people, some of your listeners may be familiar with it. That used to be a parkade. Um, that was the parkade for Vancouver Center One or that Scotia Tower at Seymour in Georgia. We took down the parkade. We're building a brand new office tower as well as replacing the parking. Uh, so that's an example of changing the use of that site. That's not just parking. It's now parking plus an office tower on top. So um, increasing the density. And then even there's you know, more potential on that site as well. And across the country, we have situations where, you know, it's often it's a long held site. So the parking lot, uh, you know, adjacent to a parking lot, adjacent to Square One uh, Mall in Mississauga, we've had a couple of those where that becomes an opportunity to build now to build residential. Um, so those are the kinds of things we're looking for uh, in apartments, in some cases, in existing assets in really good locations that are older do a sweet modernization when they become vacant and upgrade uh, to to meet the needs and the desires of a lot of the tenants who are wanting to to rent in those areas, but they want a, you know a newer experience with its own in-suite laundry, uh, you know stone countertops, um, you know maybe an open plan kitchen taking out a wall, those kinds of things. Making those changes to an older asset as a way to increase the value of the asset and increase the appeal to you know tenants, renters, and so forth. So it's interesting though, because I mean, we're in a in a time where people are working from home, and where it's questionable whether we'll we'll keep working from home. You're building office buildings, and it sounds like you're building a lot of them. And you're, yeah, bullish on office. Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, those are the that's the uh, we're the only office building we have uh, under construction right now. Hopefully, uh, is the Vancouver Center Two building, and that's been under construction for a couple of years. Um, it's it's got, I believe, it's about. It's over 50% leased. I'm trying to think. There's deal, but which deals are done and which ones are not. But uh, it's it's had pre-leasing commitments. Actually, one of the the original tenants who leased in the building, uh, pre-leased in the building during COVID, asked us for another floor. Wow. So they're you know they're thinking ahead that they're going to be using the space and they're needing more space. And that's what across North America that there's certainly some companies that are looking at whether uh, that how important the office is for collaboration and for innovation and creativity and but also that they need to keep people safe not just from covid but flus colds everything else and that office design that had six people maybe within two meters of each other might not be the way of the future so uh you know they're not the only um tenant or only office user that's looking at taking more space rather than less space uh you know as they think about their post-pandemic office needs. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because you, you kind of mentioned earlier that you have a view about, or, or it sounds like GWL has a view of, of what, how the office, uh, the debate over working from home or working at the office kind of pans out. And what, like, what in your opinion does the, the future of, of work look like for people? Is it, is it like a hybrid of working from home and working in office space or, or any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, we, we, we have done a lot of research and, and because this is the big question and, and what, you know, and it affects office values and as well as, you know, obviously our strategy with, with this asset class. Uh, from there's a, There's been a lot of surveys out there about CEOs as well as typical office workers. Um, and so we've gone through all of that. We've actually had our own surveys in the field. I've got another one coming up I'm going to put in the field. Uh, so we've, and as well as talking to all of the other big landlords around the world, um, 
you know, so that's, you know, so we've done a lot of research on this. What the consensus seems to be is, well, certainly it's not going to be the same. Um, we've all figured out how to do at least some work working from home that's at least as productive or more productive. Some For some people, there's fewer um, distractions. Some people, there's more. Depends on whether you have small children, you know, a dog and a nanny or various other combinations of that at home. Um, and that's certainly reflecting reflects in the in survey responses. But generally, what we see, and it you know, is that there'll be people will have be empowered to work from home some of the time, whether it's one day a week, two days a week, or more. That's going to depend on the company, on the role that somebody does. Some roles are are less collaborative than other roles. Uh, so that so that will be possible, but then at the same time, so there might be a little bit less office space needed because some and some people might be at home 100 percent of the time. There are roles and companies where there might not be any reason to have everybody at the office anymore. At one point, it might have been technology or it might have been security. All of those things have been figured out, and so they may not be coming back. You can think about some more rote, some more rote jobs or jobs that are very, like I said, they're not collaborating with, with coworkers. So maybe customer service, contact center, processing claims, some of that may, may happen at home. So, but some of that was already happening at home before, as I said, that was a trend that was already there. Uh, so we've got some loss from work from home, but at the same time, we've got companies saying they may need more space to one, spread people out, but two, to create more places where people can collaborate and be creative within an office. So more small meeting rooms, maybe a lounge, maybe a co- like place that looks like a coffee bar that's part of the company space. And companies are now, they were again, this was future of work. This was being worked on pre-COVID. Companies trying to figure this out. It's accelerated. And I think it's taught us that, you know, people, why people go to the office is for also, you know, learning from other people, being around more senior people so you can be mentored by them. Uh, being around other young people, if you're a younger professional, to uh, you know, to build bonds and to learn from them as well, and as you know, we're social beings. So the office, they're figuring out how that office is going to look, and whether the net result is going to be slightly more space, the same amount of space, less space, and every company is going to be different. But we think on balance, um, you know, you're going to work from home probably within a few years, balanced out by needing to spread out. And then the other thing that's been happening is the growth in jobs that happen in the office. And this was happening really fast, particularly on the tech sector, but also the financial services. And I think that's probably also tech. It's the fintech sector uh, pre-COVID. And we think that's going to continue. And for Vancouver, I think people know, you know, Amazon's committed to over a million square feet of office space at the Post, uh, which is Quadrille's development on the old post office site. Um, So, and they've been obviously already hiring in Vancouver. We've got, you know, there's their Seattle, you know, sibling there. Microsoft has been taking a lot of space in has taken space in Vancouver and other tech companies that are smaller, you know, or have been here a long time. So we've, we've seen this as, you know, as well as financial services, the professional services, the, the so the big accounting and consulting firms um, have all been taking more space. And, uh, you know, video, actually Vancouver can't forget video games and uh uh, media production in Vancouver as well that uses space. So the, the number of jobs in office space that use office space has been growing faster than the overall job growth. And that's another reason why medium term, we are quite optimistic about the future of office is that even if there's some contraction from in the end, it works out from more, a few more people working from home, maybe companies taking a little bit less, taking less space coming out, coming out with, you know, maybe more shared space, less individual space. Because of this job growth, you're going to need more office space in the future. So it's sort of a long-winded way of, of answering your question. Yeah, I, I think. Well, I think it's interesting because we've been told for years that you know people in the tech sector and all the all the industries that you just mentioned want to live close to work in a lot of ways, right? They want to walk to work. They don't want to own a car. So this actually makes me quite bullish about condos, small spaces, and downtown. Yeah, I would agree. I think it comes back. I think the, you know, once we get sort of a little bit past COVID, you know, transit, people will be back on transit. Over in Asia, people are back on transit. Um, you might be in a mask for a little while, but but transit's actually, you know, there haven't been a lot of examples of COVID spreading on transit because if people are quiet and sitting there in a mask, um, it, it's harder to spread the virus. Um, so if it's then post-COVID, people will be less worried about it. So, yeah, I think also, so the transit-oriented um, urban spaces, close, relatively short commute. So I'm just saying you don't necessarily have to be downtown and walkable. You might be along the Canada line, the West Coast Express, the different uh, um, SkyTrain lines, including the new one. 
where people can still get to downtown or the Mount Pleasant office spaces really quickly. So I think, yeah, if you, if you look at this uh, from um, what a resident, and I hadn't thought about this from what a, a condo developer might look for or a condo, you know, for condo sales, you know, certainly any place which is going to be well served by, by transit and by that experiential environment and close to the office space. And obviously Mount Pleasant has a, a fair amount of new office space coming that's catering to the tech sector. So I think, yeah, downtown Mount Pleasant are probably neighborhoods that are, um, that would, you know, that will be of interest to both renters and owners uh, in the future. Right. Does, are you seeing the current moment as an opportunity? And I guess this is kind of piggybacks on conversations that I guess we're having off offline, uh, but also with Tom, where we, we talked quite a bit about, you know, that downtown, the vacancy rates up, the rents are down, um, inventories up. Uh, it seems like it's basically a perfect storm uh, of negativity uh, downtown right now. Like maybe thinking about Vancouver, but also just this COVID moment for your for your your company is is this a moment of opportunity? You've kind of spoken to it a little bit, but yeah, it's 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 a little bit hard hard to answer. I mean, obviously, if there was some just if right now there have not been distressed asset sales or opportunities. So, like to you know to to, to buy something that someone's struggling to make the payments on or something like that, or and being able to buy it at a discount. Um, that hasn't happened. So there's not really opportunities there. So our opportunities we've been taking have been a lot smaller scale. Like if we were going to do an elevator upgrade in an office building, that's very disruptive to the tenants, but they're not there right now. So we can go ahead and do it now and do it faster um, because you can take half or two thirds of the elevators out of commission at one time and it doesn't really bother anybody. Um, so there's some of those upgrades, upgrade a lobby, you know, anything that's really disruptive to, say, office tenants, this is a really good time to do it. Uh, so we certainly have some buildings where we've, uh, we already had, again, underway pre-COVID. COVID gave us an opportunity once it was safe to have workers in the building. You know, once we proved it was safe, you know, initially there was sort of that shelter in place um, to do that. So that's some of the opportunities we've been taking. And obviously, on the flip side of multi-res, it might be a little harder to be doing upgrades because everybody's there. Um, but yeah, we haven't, you know, where are the opportunities? That's, it's, they're, they're a little harder to find this time, other than it's just being mindful, going through our same process of looking for opportunities. Uh, you know, we're taking sites through the development pre-approvals process, uh, continuing to do that through the pandemic. So we're just, you know, we're continuing to work on our longer term strategies. And uh, yeah, and, you know, it, over time, you know, this, we're, okay, we're nine months into this lockdown, there could be you know, hopefully, hopefully I'm wrong, but there could be another nine to 12 months to go before things really feel back to normal or more. Uh, you know, hopefully it's faster than that, but that could start to bring, you know, maybe some more, there might be some um, people who have, you know, organizations that have to sell real estate and maybe there'll be some opportunities, but uh, on that side, but right now there, there really hasn't been. I guess quickly, uh, I had a follow-up question, but are you surprised that this far along? I mean, I, I know the with CERB and the all the varieties of support the federal government's come out with, um, it might not be that big of a surprise. But are you surprised that kind of nine nine months in, there isn't uh, more distressed sales happening? Yeah. Um Again, it's one of these things where if you'd asked me in April if I thought there would be distressed sales, my answer would have been yes. And then now, obviously, the answer is there has not been that much. And when you think about it, one thing that's available right now is there's plenty of credit available and financing available. So groups, if you believe in a site, you can hang on to it. Now, I have heard anecdotally, and this is an area that Realty Advisors plays in, so just sort of word on the street, I have heard that there are some smaller condo sites where, you know, the, the, whoever had it is, is looking to get out um, because they can't afford to build right now or they're, they're, they're in tough, but, um, but generally I think there's financing available. So even if, you know, some a group was maybe struggling to lease up a building, they can get some new financing at a low rate and, you know, just take longer to, uh, you know, to get a building fully stabilized. Um, so I guess that's so that's one reason why it's not happening. You know, past economic downturns have often started in the financial sector. So you think 2008 credit froze, 
the 1990s, there, the 1990s, there was an overextension of, of credit um, that, uh, you know, that uh, didn't didn't last, and uh, you know, and, and an overbuilding that uh, that resulted in um, a lot of vacancy, and so buildings being able to be picked up really cheap. Uh, they were not very occupied, but they, you could pick them up cheap. Um, this this time, you know, it, it didn't start in an office-oriented sector like finance or tech. So the office buildings are full, the companies are working. It didn't. The finance sector wasn't involved in bringing on this, uh, you know, the cause of this economic downturn. So, uh, so there, that that sector is functioning, and as we know, interest rates are really low right now. Right, of course. You know, just thinking, Wendy, and I think you spoke a little bit about this, um, you know, two years ago, but one of the things you mentioned that I'd I'd love to hear a little bit more about is, you know, your strategy hasn't changed all that much. Uh, You're still, um, you know, going about your business of looking for good opportunities in good markets, um, you know, distressed or not. Um, it's kind of, it sounds like it's business as usual. Can you talk a little bit about how, and, and maybe thinking specifically about uh, multifamily residential, but how you, uh, how you find markets that you, that, that you're excited about and, and also what that deal looks like in the end? Um, so we talk about, you know, sort of like within uh, Metro Vancouver or nationally? Even nationally, like just how, how you're finding markets that seem like great investment opportunities, like the the process. Okay, well, the process, some of the things we look at, and this will take sort of a national view, if we are looking to get into other cities besides the main ones that we are we are in, um, you know, we look at pop, we look at something, you know, some of the obvious things that probably people would think of. You look at for population growth, we look at the what's called the propensity to rent. So, you know, you have it a higher or lower than the national average percentage of households who rent. Uh, we like to see more renters. Um, we would look at, you know, job growth in a region. Uh, and this is we're looking multi-res, we specifically, we also look to be in regions where there is liquidity, which means for us, there's other institutional investors uh, to larger investors in that market. Um, if there, you know, in the event that we ever needed to sell, that there would, you know, there is a market for uh, for the asset that we would be obviously looking to buy or develop. So, so those are some of the those are some of the things that we we would look for. And you know, and then from there, uh, you know, we we've uh, you know we actually do have some markets identified where we would like to move in if we could find the right opportunity. Uh, so Victoria is one of them that we're not currently in for multi-res. We do have some retail, um, and that uh, you know the right opportunity there, we would be interested. Any any other uh, areas you're excited <laughs> Adam about? Just, Adam just took his notebook out. Yeah, yeah, I know. What, what else are we looking for? Uh, so yeah, so in BC, Victoria is is the only uh, one that we are, other than you know, obviously the full the lower mainland uh, that we that we are interested in, and then we've got some other ones uh, identified. Some of the satellite cities to Toronto as well that we've been looking at. Again, haven't found the right opportunity, but but uh, would be of interest. And uh, you know, Quebec City is sort of similar to Victoria in uh, in its, its government as all as well as tourism. And, uh, you know, again, if the right opportunity came along, those are some examples of places that, uh, that we would, that we would look. So maybe as a final question, Wendy, um, and thinking about this in, in kind of the, or maybe I'll lay out the context that I'm thinking about this question. Uh, one is we, we were introduced, uh, to you via Twitter where you're, you're fairly active, right? And Twitter's the Mm -hmm. land of the bears basically about, about Vancouver real estate. Um, you mentioned, (laughs) okay. (laughs) (laughs) We lost her. (laughs) Uh, No, no, no. But, but we're talking about kind of, um, you seem more optimistic, at least on the with office space and everything else, uh, about downtown Vancouver. Um, the two markets that you're interested in in BC are Victoria and Vancouver, which are which are very pricey markets, right? Vancouver especially, but you mentioned the Lower Mainland is one that you're always interested in. Um, are you optimistic about the future of of Vancouver and and what is the next kind of one, three, five, ten years look like in your mind? 
Um, okay, yes, I think I would say, you know, I'm optimistic about Vancouver. I think as a company, we're, we're, we remain optimistic about Vancouver for all of the asset classes, uh, you know, that we that we work in, in terms of being able, we have, you know, most of our clients would like more allocation to Vancouver. So we are obviously very actively looking for opportunities uh, in in this market. Um, the next year, particularly say for, for office, you know, it's going to be a struggle to get back from COVID. So, you know, this is certainly a, a longer term view, particularly on the office side, rather than necessarily a shorter term view, 12 to 24 months is, is going to be a ways back. But we started this uh, downturn in, at a very low va- at very low vacancy rates in the three percent level, which is um, almost unheard of in this market. So there was a lot of pent up demand. Companies couldn't get space. Uh, there's still a lot of interest in being in this market um, internationally from tenants. So you know a lot of the U.S. tech firms, but also you know one of our our anchor tenants in in the new tower is actually out of Asia, or their parent the parent company is out of Asia. So that's another reason for opt for optimism. Um, we continue to attract immigrants, and that's how we're able to you know, create jobs and bring in people to fill them. And so that's you know that's good for the office market. That's good for the residential market. Um, you know, one struggle we've had before, and I probably talked about this two years ago, and it hasn't gotten better, is the lack of housing, and particularly rental housing, in, and new rental housing in the core of Vancouver. So, and not just downtown by core, I mean, you know, downtown, Mount Pleasant, the transit-oriented neighborhoods of Vancouver. And that could be a, a factor that slows growth a little bit in the future if that isn't resolved. So, you know, I encourage you know, encourage people if you care about the economy of Vancouver, and even if down the road you want to sell, you know, you're more in the the condo business. We still need rental as a way to attract uh, an international workforce and attract a national domestic workforce um, into this market and to grow this market. So to grow the city, and you know, bring in people that also eat at restaurants and you know shop and and make the city the vibrant place that it is because uh, you know over time some people leave and so we want to always have that flow of people and we need more rental housing for that fantastic uh you know what we have a segment called the five wire i think you actually did this two years ago but uh it's changed a lot since then though. has it yeah yeah it has okay I it's not quite the same question oh right yeah the other one i feel like they were they were a lot easier before and now we've We've made You're them a little them more difficult. We're constantly complicating things around here. So um, question number one, Wendy, uh, favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? Well, I live in the Commercial Drive neighborhood, and I quite like that neighborhood. So um, so that's, that's certainly one. And then my other favorite neighborhood to go walk around is the Main Street area, you know, kind of from like 22nd up to about 28th, 30th. Ah, nice. Like Little Mountain. That's a nice spot. Almost yeah. Little Mountain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what not his name, quite. what his what his name is, but like, Main Street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Favorite bar or restaurant? Uh, well, have lots of them, but uh, I think right right now I think I'll go with uh, Havana's on Commercial Drive. Uh, we haven't had Havana's. Yet. We haven't had Havana's, but I feel like I've spent more time on the patio at Havana's than almost any other. Person in, in Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. See, the, the food is good. The drinks are good. The, the location and the patio is great. As, yeah, if it's sunny out, there's no better place to be. <laughs> That's for sure. What is one book that you would recommend to anyone listening? Uh, that one I struggled with because I haven't been reading a lot of say, real estate or urban planning books, or and and I just find I, I read so much of that stuff in more article form my job. I don't tend to pick up a book on it as much, but I, I, so I decided to come up with what I'm reading right now, which is, and it's a bit more academic, but I thought you guys might like it. Um, on the cusp of contact, gender, space, and race in the colonization of British Columbia. Um, why I think this one's actually important, even for people looking at, at real estate in Vancouver today, is it starts to look at all these ways we created space in a, in a way to segregate out people by gender, by race, uh, going back, you know, that's now going back several hundred years and how uh, some of our society in British Columbia evolved. So it's sort of a way of learning some history, but also it's issues that are very relevant today as, as you know, as we're thinking about, you know, coming out of the U.S. and the, uh, the movement towards greater equity and certainly Canada needs to, to deal with these issues as well. And uh, it's, it's a way of thinking about uh, how language, how space, how, how we organize um, places that we live. Uh, you know, segregates against or discriminates against uh, some people. 
It's worth pointing out, uh, Wendy, we haven't talked about it this time, but you do have a, a PhD in history. Uh, I do. <laughs> as, as does Matt. Uh, it's, it's like I, I'm the uh, – the the only non postmodern fly on the wall here. <laughs> Wait, I was, the book does sound great though. The, yeah. Uh, um, what is one piece of advice you would give your eighteen year old self? It was a really interesting and really challenging question. I thought about it for a while, and I think the advice I'd give myself, my younger self, maybe thinking eighteen to twenty four. Uh, would be to hang in there, that at that time I faced a lot of sexism, had my voice and abilities discounted because I was female. And so the advice to myself, I think, would be to have confidence in my abilities, confidence in myself, keep building on strengths, and that one day companies and organizations would actually be seeking diverse voices, like female voices and others, uh, because it's good for business and it's better for business. That the one single voice that was really dominant in the late 80s and early 90s uh, is no longer what companies are looking for. And so that, uh, you know, to my younger self, your voice will be appreciated in the future. So just hang in there. I think that's maybe uh, one of the best uh, best answers we've ever had to that question. So that's a good one. Yeah. Um, last but not least, Wendy, what is something that you've bought in the last year or two for under $1,000 that's changed your life? Um, yeah, that's had that one before and I think I went with my coffee cup. Um, this time, <laughs> I think it's all of these trying to figure out how to work from home with it, you know, and be comfortable while doing it. But at, at my office where I haven't been much since March, you know, I've got, we have ergonomic specialists in so the right chair and the right keyboard trays and heights and monitor arms. And it's, it's a little harder to set that up at, at home. So um, the laptop or the laptop stand has really, you know, improved my life because um, I'm able to have a screen at the right height. Um, and my chair was over a thousand dollars, so we can't count the chair. Uh, and then also, what the company bought for me, I love two things: um, the Plantronics uh, headset, which connects to my laptop for you know conference calls and Zoom and uh, Teams meetings and so forth. It, the sound quality is so good. I've recorded a few podcasts off the computer and 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 uh, webinar type events, um, and that's made a big difference. Plus, I can walk around, which is really good, and listen to things while not being stuck during it at the computer. It's great. Fantastic. Well, well, thanks again, Wendy, uh, so much for your time. Hopefully next time we can, we can do it again in person. Um, it won't be at that, that, uh, the rental that was, that was when Adam was building, renting, yeah. yeah, building his house. So <laughs> that rental is a, a place that no longer exists, at least in our world, but, uh, <laughs> but we got a new space. Um, and Wendy, I, I, we should ask you, how can people find out more about what you're doing, um, maybe your Twitter handle, and also uh, GWL Realty Advisors? Okay, yeah, good question. So my Twitter handle is at Wendy underscore Waters, so easy to find. Uh, you can go to www.gwlra.com, and if you click on research, you will get uh, – a page which is links to a lot of the articles we've written. Uh, some of them cover topics uh, that we covered today, as well as on the previous podcast. So some pent-up demand for rental housing and housing generally in the Vancouver and Toronto markets, for example. You can scroll through and find those articles. The more recent ones have been about the future of office, and there's a new one that's in production right now. So in a few few days or a week or so, there'll be a, a new piece out on uh, taking sort of a long-term view on office markets and the future of office. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much again for your time, Wendy. Okay, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Wendy Waters, VP Research Services and Strategy over at GWL Realty Advisors. Really enjoyed that conversation with Wendy, Matt, and uh, it's really exciting to think that these are people analyzing the market. They're analyzing the market all over Canada and they're spending lots of money in the market. And it, from what I took away from that conversation is they're pretty bullish on the city of Vancouver. That's right. You know what? And think about this. Wendy Waters and her team. Uh, yes, GWL. GWL. 
This is what she does every day, all day. Right. Pours over data all over North America. And the the type of research they're doing leads to millions and millions of dollars being invested. Sure. So this is uh, – the fact that we can get somebody like Wendy Waters on the show is just uh, – in, in and of itself is a feat, I would say. So, so congratulations to us. Yeah. <laughs> this always comes back to congratulating <laughs> ourselves. Um, what else do we got today, Adam, before we go? There's a few things we have. One – Usually we talk about the Sellers Club early on in the introduction, but because we were so tied up on this topic of reviews, right. we forgot to mention the hottest, most exclusive club in the city of Vancouver. It is the Sellers Club, Matt, where sellers get the best resources out there to sell your property for top dollar in the shortest amount of time. And these are free. There are resources. We're creating them. Uh, we've been doing this a long time. We know how to get your property sold, and we're happy to share our resources and our strategies with you. All you have to do is send an email that says Sellers Club in the subject line, and we will send it out that week, probably that day. It'll come. We're, It'll come. Yeah. I mean, there is a lineup with some velvet uh, rope, Ropes, but uh, yeah. but you'll probably get it the same day. We can almost guarantee that. You can also just We actually sign. just use Secret's uh, old T-shirts uh, for to, to create the velvet rope uh, <laughs> and his car interior. Um, anyways, what else we got? A little bit of makeshift, uh, makeshift there. But that is one way to get into the Sellers Club. The other way is just to sign up to the live wire and every week you will get an opportunity to click a little button there. The live wire, this is our weekly newsletter. This is where you're getting stats, you're getting updated episodes, you're getting the deal of the month. There's no reason why you don't want to be on the live wire. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com to join. It's very simple. And last but not least... Yeah, We got the tried and true. We got the research tool, private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information. It's at your fingertips. It's free. You're getting sold prices. It's great. It's perfect. It's the best way to look for real estate in Vancouver. And it's available on our site, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And you know what? We've mentioned her before. Ava Benasaki helping yeah. us out with all the people signing up for PCS, a new member of our team, been in the game 10, ten years. years. 10 years, and man, we showed her PCS, floored. Was she floored by she PCS? Floored she by loved PCS. it. She loves she PCS. She loves PCS. Yes. Yeah. So definitely sign up, and Ava will get in touch and get the search started. And Matt, how can people get in touch with you? If you want to get in touch with me about Anything real estate related at all, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also have that secret line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And as we are recording this outro, Adam literally got up and left for an appointment. Uh, So I'm feeling a little bit in the nude here. So maybe we'll leave it there. Uh, Take care, guys. Have a good week. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. 